and welcome back to Murder and Mystery Diaries, a true crime podcast where I bring an episode of true crime each week to you. So this week I'm going to talk about the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac Killer was an unidentified serial killer who operated in Northern California in the late 1960s. This case is very long, so it will be split into two parts. The first part this week, and the second part next week. This case may be very triggering to listeners, so please listen in at your own discretion. I like killing people because it's so much fun. In July of 1969, a letter arrived at the San Francisco Examiner newspaper containing those chilling words in a coded message. The sender, the soon-to-be notorious Zodiac, a serial killer who terrorised Northern California, in the late 1960s and the early 1970s. With a combination of grisly murders and bizarre public letters brimming with horrific threats, demented demands and mysterious ciphers teasing his identity. That identity has frustrated law enforcement officials, professional codebreakers and armchair criminologists alike for over 50 years. While officially connected to five murders and two attempted murders, The Zodiac Killer hinted that he had killed at least 37 victims. The Zodiac Killer seemed to vanish in the late 1970s, but his twisted legacy carries on, having inspired three real-life copycat killers and dozens of books. Now I will go over the chronology of his murders and several that show strong sides of a possible Zodiac hand. Santa Barbara, June 4th, 1963. Robert Domingos and his fiancée Linda Edwards were seniors at Lompoc High School in Santa Barbara in Southern California. On Tuesday in early June 1963, the couple decided to use the senior ditch day to go sunbathing on a beach near Gavata State Park. When the two teenagers didn't return home by Wednesday, Robert's father went to the beach and was horrified to discover their bodies lying together inside the remains of a crumbling shack. The victims bound with rope had apparently tried to escape but were shot and killed with a 22 caliber weapon. Robert was shot 11 times and Linda had been shot 9 times. The killer then dragged the bodies to the shack where he tried and failed to start a fire. Investigators had a few leads but in 1972 the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department announced a possible Zodiac connection. The beach killer used Winchester Western Super X ammunition, the same ammunition used by the Zodiac during the 1968 murders on Lake Herman Road. The Domingo slash Edwards case also had similarities to the Zodiac's attack of another young couple at Lake Barissa in 1969. Riverside, October 30th, 1966. Eighteen-year-old Cherry Josephine Bates lived with her father Joseph and was a student at Riverside City College in Riverside, California. On October 30th, 1966, she left a note that read, Dad, went to the RCC library. The next morning, her Volkswagen Beetle was found abandoned in the library parking lot and her body was lying nearby between two houses. She had been stabbed several times and her throat was slashed. Police found a men's Timex watch at the crime scene, a print from a military boot, 
and some hairs in dried blood on the victim's hand. Cherry Joe's purse was intact and an autopsy revealed no evidence of sexual assault. One month after the murder, the local newspaper and police department received a typewritten letter titled The Confession from someone who claimed to be the killer. The author wrote, Miss Bates was stupid. She went to the slaughter like a lamb and added, I am not sick, I am insane. In April 1967, the newspaper, the police and Joseph Bates received virtually identical handwritten letters which read, Bates had to die. There will be more. The notes were signed with a symbol which resembled the letter Z. In 1969, Riverside Police contacted the investigators in Northern California regarding the similarities between the Zodiac crimes and the murder of Miss Cherry Jo Bates. Sherwood Morrill, the documents examiner for the California Department of Justice, concluded that the Zodiac was responsible for the notes linked to the Bates case. The Riverside connection was later revealed to the public by Paul Avery, reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. The Zodiac then sent a letter to the Los Angeles Times indicating that the killer confirmed the theory that he killed Bates. The Zodiac wrote, I do have to give them credit for stumbling across my Riverside activity, but they're only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there. A few years later, Riverside Police then rejected the theory of the Zodiac Killer and focused on a man who they said was a jilted former lover of Miss Bates. In the late 1990s, police obtained a sample of the suspect's DNA to compare with the DNA from the hairs found on the victim's hand in 1966. The DNA didn't match and the suspect denied any involvement in the murder. Benicia, December 20th. 1968. On the 20th of December 1968, five nights before Christmas, around 10.15pm, high school students Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday set out on their first official date together in his mother's rambler, promising Betty Lou's parents they'd be home by 11pm. They set off to a well-known area called Lover's Lane, along Lake Herman Road in Benicia, California. Shortly after that time, passing motorists saw the Rambler and its occupants parked at the Lover's Lane spot. Moments later, another driver noticed two seemingly lifeless bodies on the side of the road. Benicia police and others responded to the scene around 11.28pm and discovered Betty Lou dead, with five bullet wounds in her back approximately 8.5 metres from her car. Bullets had penetrated her heart, liver and right kidney. David was found next to the rambler with a bullet wound in his head, still breathing but near death. Bullet holes in the car's roof and back window indicated that the killer may have fired warning shots to force the victims out of the vehicle. Shell casings recovered at the crime scene identified ammunition as a Winchester Western Super X copper coated. Ballistic evidence indicated that the killer used a 22 caliber, possibly J.C. Higgins Model 80 semi-automatic pistol. Investigators believe the two teenagers were likely random targets killed by a stranger for unknown reasons. The Zodiac Killer didn't claim these murders until later and provided details that were not made public. Vallejo, July 4th. 1969. 
22-year-old Darlene Farron was a wife, mother and a popular waitress at Vallejo Restaurant. On the night of July 4th, 1969, she picked up a friend Michael, Megu, and stopped her Corvair in the parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Park. Michael later told the police that another vehicle pulled into the lot around midnight and left then to only return minutes later. The driver got out of the car, shined a bright light and fired into the Corvair with a 9mm handgun. The killer walked away from the car but upon hearing Michael's moaning, returned and shot each victim twice more before driving off. Michael was shot in the jaw, shoulder and leg. Darlene was hit several times. At 12.40pm, in a call later traced to a gas station payphone, a man rang the Vallejo Police Department and claimed responsibility for the shootings, as well as the murders on Lake Herman Road. According to the police dispatcher, the caller spoke in a low, monotonous voice, saying, I want to report a murder. If you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, you will find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9mm Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye. Darlene died on arrival to hospital, but Michael survived. Michael described his attacker as a 26 to 30 year old, 195 to 200 pound male, 88 to 91 kg, or possibly even more, 5 foot 8, white male with short, light brown curly hair. The first letter to the Vallejo Times Herald postmarked 31st of July 1969. The writer claimed responsibility for the shootings and provided details about the victims, the weapons, the number of shots fired and the brand of ammunition. A letter also to the San Francisco Chronicle postmarked 31st of July 1969. One of three virtually identical letters accompanied by one third of a cipher. The writer demanded the publication of these letters and ciphers by Friday, August 1st. The third letter appeared to the San Francisco Examiner, postmarked the 31st of July 1969 also. The writer threatened to kill again if newspaper did not publish his cipher, which included the words, I like killing because it's so much fun. Most killers avoid direct contact with the police, however the Zodiac Killer was somewhat different. On July 31st 1969, the Zodiac Killer had sent these letters to the Vallejo Times Herald, the San Francisco Examiner, and the San Francisco Chronicle. In these letters he had claimed credit for the murders but not only had he done this, he had also told specific details about them that only the shooter and investigating officers would know. These details being the ammunition being Super X and the Benicia killing and Western and the Vallejo murder. Split among all these letters contained a cipher. The writer had claimed that this cipher would identify his identity. It was demanded that the newspapers publish the cipher in full. He claimed that if they did not do what he wanted, he would go on a killing spree. The newspapers did as they were told. The ciphers contained English and Greek letters, astrology symbols, Asian mythology and native rock carvings, which made it harder to decipher the code. Many words were misspelled and many grammatical errors. However, a high school teacher, Donald Harden, had deciphered and cracked the code. I 
like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and all that I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow me down or stop my collection of slaves from my afterlife. And then a bunch of jumbled letters that could not be deciphered. A psychiatrist in the Los Angeles Times had said he probably feels his fellow man looks down on him for some reason. He had also had gone on to say that if the ciphers had been faked, they were done by a deeply disturbed person. However, if the writings were real by the killer, that he would probably kill again, in which he did. On the 4th of August 1969, a three-page letter was received by the examiner, sent in response to the police asking for information to prove the writer actually committed the murders. This was the first use of the name The Zodiac. Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. In answer to your asking for more details about the good times I've had in Vallejo, I shall be very happy to supply even more material. By the way, are the police having a good time with the code? If not, tell them to cheer up. When they do crack it, they will have me. On the 4th of July, I did not open the car door. The window was rolled down already. The boy was originally sitting in the front seat when I began firing. When I fired the first shot at his head, he leaped backwards at the same time, thus spoiling my aim. He ended up in the back seat, then the floor in the back, thrashing out violently with his legs. That's how I shot him in the knee. I did not leave the scene of the killing with squealing tyres and racing engine as described in the Vallejo paper. I drove away quite slowly so as not to draw attention to my car. The man who told the police that my car was brown, about 40 40 45, rather shabby dressed. I was at this phone booth having some fun with the Vallejo cops when he was walking by. When I hung up the phone at the damn X thing began to rang and this drew his attention to me and my car. Last Christmas, in that episode the police were wondering as to how I could shoot and hit my victims in the dark. They did not openly state this, but implied this by saying it was well lit night and I could see the silhouettes on the horizon. Bullshit. That area is surrounded by high hills and trees. What I did was tape a small pencil flashlight to the barrel of my gun. If you notice in the centre of the beam of light, if you aim it at a wall or a ceiling, you will see a black or dark spot in the centre of the circle of light, about three to six inches across. When taped to a gun barrel, the bullet will strike exactly at the centre of the black dot in the light. All I had to do was spray them as if it was a water hose. There was no need to use gun sights. I was not happy to see that I did not get front page coverage. Lake Barissa, September 27th, 1969. On Saturday, September 27th, it was a warm and sunny day, 
College students Brian Hartnell, 20 years old, and Cecilia Shepherd, 22 years old, were relaxing along the shore of Lake Barissa, some 30 miles north of Napa, California. At approximately 6.30pm, an ominous figure had approached. About six foot tall stood the man, wearing gloves and a hooded costume, covering everything except his eyes and his mouth. The man appeared holding a gun and the hooded costume with a white crossed circle over the chest. The man waving the gun started explaining that he had escaped from a prison in Montana after killing a guard and needed money and their car to escape to Mexico. The couple agreed and the stranger bound their wrists with pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline. He had done this so they would be unable to alert the authorities. Without warning, he plunged a large knife into Brian's back six times. He then stabbed Cecilia ten times as she fought for her life. The man then walked to Brian's car and used a pen to draw a crossed circle on the door with the dates and locations of the previous attacks. The date, September 27th, 69, the time, 6.30, and the notation, by knife. At 7.40pm, a man called the Napa Police Department to report a double murder. The caller described Brian's car, directed the police to the scene of the crime, and confessed, I'm the one who did it. Police traced the call to a payphone at a car wash in Napa. Cecilia died two days later, but Brian survived. San Francisco, October 11, 1969. Paul Stein, a 28-year-old student and husband, worked as a cab driver in San Francisco. That night, Stein picked up a fare headed for a destination in the upscale Presidio Heights neighbourhood. At the intersection of Washington and Cherry Street, the passenger shot Stein in the head and removed a piece of the victim's shirt. The man walked away just before the police arrived, but the police radio broadcast mistakenly described the suspect as a man of colour, and passing officers dismissed a white man resembling the correct description. Fingerprints found on the driver's side of the cab may have belonged to the killer, and a sketch was produced based on the descriptions provided by witnesses. The case was considered a routine robbery until the Office of San Francisco Chronicle received an envelope with the letter the Zodiac, which began with the words, I am the murderer of the taxi driver. The envelope also contained a bloodstained piece of Paul Stein's shirt. The Zodiac denied he left fingerprints and claimed the police sketch was inaccurate because he had worn a disguise. Letter to the Chronicle postmarked October 13, 1969. The writer mocked police for failing to catch him and threatened to shoot school children on a bus. The envelope contained a piece of the bloodstained shirt belonging to the victim, Paul Stein. Envelope to the Chronicle postmarked November 8th, 1969, containing another piece of the cab driver's shirt, a humorous greeting card and another cipher consisting of 340 symbols. The writer added, Days July, August, September, October equals 7, a possible reference to the more unidentified victims. A seven-page letter to the Chronicle, postmarked November 9th, 1969. The longest message from the Zodiac claimed that the police stopped him near the crime scene, but let him go. The Zodiac also included a bomb recipe and a diagram of the explosive. 
this is a zodiac speaking. Up to the end of October I have killed seven people and I have grown rather angry with police for telling their lies about me. So I shall change the way of collecting slaves. I shall no longer announce to anyone when I commit my murders. They shall look like routine robberies, killings of anger and a few fake accidents, etc. The police shall never catch me because I have been too clever for them. One, I look like the description passed out only when I do my thing. The rest of the time I look entirely different. I shall not tell you what my disguise consists of when I kill. Two, as of yet, I have left no fingerprints behind me, contrary to what the police say. In my killings, I wear transparent fingertip guards. All it is is two coats of airplane cement coated on my fingertips. Quite unnoticeable and very effective. 3. My killing tools have been brought in through the mail order outfits before the ban went into effect, except one, and it was brought out of the state. So, as you can see, the police don't have much to work on. If you wonder why I was wiping the cab down, I was leaving fake clues for the police to run all over the town with. As one might say, I gave the cops some busy work to do to keep them happy. Enjoy needling the blue pigs. Hey blue pig, I was in the park. You were using fire trucks to mask the sound of your cruising patrol cars. The dogs never came within two blocks of me and they were to the west and there was only two groups of parking about 10 minutes apart. Then the motorcycles went by about 150 feet away, going from south to northwest. P.S. Two cops pulled a goof about three months later after I left the cab. I was walking down the hill to the park when this cop car pulled up and one of them called me over and asked if I saw anyone acting suspicious or strange in the last five to ten minutes. And I said yes. There was this man who was running by waving a gun and the cops peeled rubber and went around the corner as I directed them and I disappeared into the park a block and a half away, never to be seen again. Hey pig, doesn't it rile you up to have your nose rubbed in your boo-boos? If you cops think I'm going to take on a bus the way I stated I was, you deserve to have holes in your heads. Take one bag of ammonium nitrate fertilizer and one gal of stove oil and dump a few bags of gravel on top and then shut the shit off and will possibly ventilate anything that should be in the way of the blast. The death machine is already made. I would have sent you pictures but you would be so nasty enough to trace them back to the developer and then to me. So I shall describe my masterpiece to you. The nice part of it is all the parts can be bought on the open market with no questions asked. One bat poi clock will run for approximately one year. One photoelectric switch, two copper leaf springs, two six volt car batteries, one flashlight bulb and reflector, one mirror, and two 18 inch cardboard tubes black with shoe polish inside and outer. The system checks out from one end to the other in my tests. 
What you do not know is whether the death machine is at site or whether it is being stored in my basement for future use. I think you do not have the manpower to stop this one by continually censoring the roadsides. Looking for this thing and it won't do the rewrote and reschedule of the buses because the bomb can be adapted to new conditions. Have fun. By the way, it could be rather messy if you try to bluff me. P.S. Be sure to print the part I marked out on the three page, page three, or I shall do my thing. To prove that I'm the Zodiac, ask the Vallejo cop about my electric gun sight, which I used to start the collecting of my slaves. Another letter addressed to the famous attorney Melvin Belly, postmarked the 20th of December 1969. The writer feared he would kill again and asked Bailey to intercede. The letter ended, Please help me. I cannot remain in control for much longer. Dear Melvin, This is the Zodiac speaking. I wish you a happy Christmas. The one thing I ask of you is this please, help me. I cannot reach out for help because of this thing in me, it won't let me. I am finding it extremely difficult to hold it in. Check, I am afraid I will lose control again and take my ninth and possibly tenth victim. Please help me. I am drowning. At the moment the children are safe from the bomb because it is so massive to dig in and the trigger mesh requires much work to get it adjusted just right. But if I hold back from too long, from nine, I will lose all control of myself and set the bomb up. Please help me, I cannot remain in control for much longer. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week at Thursday at 6pm for part two of the Zodiac Killer.